podcast. Okay, okay, that's that's fine, Dad. He's podcasting now. Hello, welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 122. My name is CJ Schrader, and with me, as always, my two co-hosts who were not judges at Vegas. First off, we have Just Dunks. I was there. You were there. That's why I, I had was, to... I was playing Magic. I had to amend it. Yep. And Brian Perlman. Hello. I, I I can't stand to fly. I'm not that naive. <laughs> I'm just what? out to find the better part of me. I'm more than a bird. I'm more than a plane. I'm more than some pretty face beside a train. And it's not easy to be me. Mm. What? Where did that even come from? <laughs> we talked about Smallville before the show. Yeah, but and that's a that's a Superman. That's the, that's uh, the theme song to Smallville, yeah. which was a CW show that ran for ten seasons. Anything <laughs> else? That's I know. It's one of many spinoffs: <laughs> I, The it, Flash, Green Green Arrow. Arrow. Stop now, green, please, uh, please, let's stop. Uh, all right, we the have Batman a, movies. We have a very <laughs> the Batman movies are spinoffs. Yeah, absolutely. Like Smallville? Every, yeah. Okay, sure. Come on. Roswell? That's a spinoff, right? All right. Where do you think we have a very from? special guest with us. Roswell came first. Uh, we have the one, the only, Toby Elliott. Can we go back to talking about the CW? No, <laughs> we can't. <laughs> okay. Toby? Did you well, like Charm? I, I don't have any other to- topics of conversation. You only get to talk about policy. Nobody cares about any other opinions you have. Oh, okay. People don't message you on IRC and go, hey, how's your day, do they? <laughs> I know I haven't, to be fair. <laughs> I know, I've been keeping track. Yeah. I'm like, Toby, answer this. <laughs> well, I do want to know what Toby's opinion on Gilmore Girls was. I'd love Gilmore Girls. Which Gilmore Girl was your favorite? Paris It was by is one of the best comic characters ever created for television. Fascinating. <laughs> I kind of just want to have this show now, honestly. <laughs> Where we just learn more about Toby <laughs> Elliott. <laughs> like, who watched Dawson's Creek and Felicity? I didn't. Oh, I hated it when she cut her hair. The show just went downhill. Oh. Else know what he's talking about? I think that was. I do, but I didn't see either of those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That might have been the UPN. Or, uh, UPN was only good for Star Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> it wasn't even good for that. I think, I think didn't it do Babylon 5 too? Uh, no, that was. Um, that was WPN. It was it was a weird indie network. It was not actually a thing. It had like it had Babylon Five and Time Tracks and Kung Fu: The Legend Returned, and it was a mass syndication effort. Huh. I can't remember the name of it. It was it was basically a whole bunch of really high UHF channels bonded together and said, "Sure, we'll show your stuff." I'm learning something on JudgeCast. Not, for once. not probably what you expected <laughs> when we started the show. Not at all. Well. Obviously, the the thing on everyone's mind is GP Vegas, and that's why we have Toby on, because you were one of the head judges at GP Vegas. Yep, the show's so large, we couldn't do it with one head judge. Yes. How many did Uh, you end up having? um, It depends what you define as a head judge. Certainly two, myself and Chris Richter, and then we had eight other people who were head judge of some section of the tournament. So what was their role? They had... Like, they could do anything a head judge like, could do? Like, so we took the tournament, and we broke into two. We just said there are two totally separate GPs here. And in fact, amazingly enough, they were they were in the same room, but you could not hear the other one. We actually thought we were way ahead of the other one, like, kicking their ass early on. And then, we're like, oh, actually, no, we just can't hear any of their announcements. Um, <laughs> because they were literally a quarter mile apart. Wow. This room was big. Yeah, um, I but- wish... I don't think any picture was able to properly no, show the scale. No, I tried. It just, yeah. it, what they should have done is taken a video of somebody walking from one end to the other. Yeah. Because it was, it was 
incredible. Um, what I actually did was uh, I took a picture uh, of that giant, like, 40-foot Karn sign at the entrance so that you could see it kind of in perspective with people. And then I went to each corner of the room and just took pictures and sent them to my friends and told them to play Where's Karn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, so we split up into two GPs that were just totally separate. They ran independently and everything else. And those each had around 4,000 players, um, which meant we didn't want one big flight. So we did what we did in the previous Vegas, which is we had four colors of tablecloths and ran those as, as, sort, of, as sort of four sub-GPs. It was a head judge for each one. And they had teams that were theoretically totally independent. They were close enough that, you know, any head judge could take an appeal from anywhere that was needed. And if, you know, the paper team on the blue flight was not terribly busy, they could go help out on the red flight, which was slightly larger. We, we actually didn't – it was not split 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 because we wanted to keep the scorekeepers well within their capacity. And we also had eight scorekeepers for this event because – actually 10 again. But – um. Yeah, because we needed that many. Um, so we gave the really expert scorekeepers uh, the 1,200 to 1,300 people and the other ones eight or 900 just to make sure that nobody was ridiculously overburdened and could get through their, their flight. Okay. So, yes, I, this was a large event. You know, that's that's kind of cool. I had actually thought that the difference in the in the sizes were just due to like no, like you'd split the GPs evenly. But then there were like no shows and drops and stuff like that. But but the fact that you guys thought to like stagger it like that's pretty cool. No, yeah, we we knew, we knew that because when you're pulling ten scorekeepers out, you're you're pulling a few people out of retirement basically, and you're like, well, maybe we shouldn't be giving them eleven hundred people right off the bat. Yeah, cool. So b- before before Vegas coming up, I I know uh, uh, Sean Ace put in a lot of work as 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 judge manager and stuff oh, like yes. that. But but for the head judge, the 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 planning that goes into this GP was probably a lot more dynamic than uh, than other GPs that you've done. Yes, yeah, it really was. Um, there were a couple of, of major things. So Sean. God bless him, did insane amounts of work to wrangle the staff together, and he sent us the spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet had 597 names on it. It was Sean Catanese. Yeah, it was all Sean Catanese 597 <laughs> times. <laughs> that would have been, no, 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 no. I mean, we, been clarifying that yeah. it was what Sean Catanese. Sean was, yeah. just said Sean. I was just, that's yes. Um, and so, you know, I opened this thing up. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, and yeah, this was all the staff. So this counted, like, all the Channel Fireball people, all the Cascade people, all the people who'd be greeters, all the people who'd be running registration, the scorekeepers. <laughs> so it was not all judges, but, you know, it was this enormous master spreadsheet of everything. And there were probably 300 judges on it as well. So step, so step one is you identify – you call up Sean and you say, hey, Sean, can you please let us know which ones of these are actually main event and which ones are side events because we need to know how many of these are actually – you know, we can, we can schedule. And he did that, and that left us with 280 or so for the main event. Wow. So step one is you split them into two staffs of 140. Um, most of that, I will let you in on a little secret, was done by using the Perl random function because <laughs> – yeah, we we ensured that there were enough good. I mean, when you have 280 judges, there's going to be enough good people on each side that you can run this. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. So we 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 basically randomized and then made adjust a little bit of adjustment at the end to make sure that there were some really great performers everywhere. Um. At that point, you're not really running a judge thing. You're running. You're you're the CEO of a company, and the CEO of a company has to put in management layers because there's there was no way that I could 
you know, personally watch over 280 judges even or even 140 on my side. So what we did, we, we had team leads, but we were we were gated on team leads by the fact that we had exactly th- uh, four, eight, 60, 32 level threes on staff. So you do the math very quickly and you discover you have four level threes per GP flight. This now tells you how many teams you have. Um, of course, you need shifts. <laughs> so now it's starting to look a little tight. Um, so what we did is we actually had three on the main event, and then we had a late shift that was just in charge of everything. And to help those level threes, because that was that was about 10 other judges per level three, and that's just too many to make them have to pay attention to. We gave each level three a lieutenant that was essentially a fairly experienced level two who could you know watch over three or four people. Um, so we, we, we effectively had this giant corporate structure running where I, I would communicate to the four head judges who would communicate to the team leaders who would communicate to the lieutenants who would get it out to the entire floor. And then you know, we, we dealt with the shift problem and everything else just by having the one shift who came in, learned everything, and they did great. They, 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 we were scared because that meant that each flight only had 10 judges at the end of the day. But those last two rounds were quiet enough and small enough that worked out okay. So – it was, the first part was just basically a giant people mover problem and just making sure that everybody was in some sort of chain of command and something needed to happen. We could get that word out. The, the second major change we did was we, we actually treated it as a Donald Rumsfeld military campaign. The first thing I did was set up a document called The Known Unknowns. And that, that document literally was just all 10 head judges were invited. All the Channel Fireball Cascade staff were invited. And we just wrote down questions. We said, what is the plan for sleep-in specials? Is there an area outside the hall where we will be able to post you know, 8,000 people worth of here's what flight you're in when they show up the morning of? Um, just basic questions like this. How is this tournament going to run? How does the PA system work? What is the structure? Is there two separate PAs or do we do all, all announcements centrally? You know, there were, by the time we were done, we had about three pages of things and John Sasso and Kyle Knudsen and Tim Shields and all the other people came in and they just started answering these questions based on what we knew. And so by the end, we had about 80% of the questions answered and the other 20% we knew were problems and we knew were things that needed to be addressed. So that was that was sort of the second thing that we made heavy duty use of. The final thing that was really crucial and really interesting to my mind is that for many, many, many years, you couldn't communicate with the judge staff in anything approx- approximating real time. You had to send out an email a week in advance because by Thursday, all the judges were traveling and there was no way to make sure that the judges would get information once Thursday arrived because they'd be going dark for the weekend. That's no longer true. Um, So many judges have cell phones um, and have access to, even if they're they're international, have access to wireless networks, so they have data plans. You can send emails up until the last minute and a large chunk of the staff will still get it. So we leaned on the forums for informational distribution a little more heavily right up to the last minute. We were were telling people, you need to go do this or go do this. Um, So we took advantage of that opportunity. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that was just some of the preparation we did in advance because it was it was busy. Yeah. <laughs> so did you did you show up uh, like Friday or Thursday or like presumably Saturday morning? You didn't just walk in cold, right? So so yeah. So I obviously I didn't start until Saturday morning, but I was I flew in on Thursday afternoon and just spent Friday in the hall talking with people who I, who needed that twenty percent remaining, figuring out things like you know. 
well, how are we going to see three waves of sleep in specials across eight different tournaments? Um, just, you know, meeting with the TOs, meeting with the various people who had information or needed information. So I, I, I was just in the hall doing stuff unofficially for the entire so, Friday. So you didn't register any sealed pools? I did not register any sealed pools. Those were those were actually done when I walked in. Carter's like, let me give you the tour. And he pulls aside this curtain. There's this, you know, sea of long boxes. And he's like, yep, here's all your product. I'm like, okay, that's all taken care of. Um in fact, that would be a good feeling to have to know that that's all taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, on Thursday night, uh, we actually had the official head judge dinner. Uh, we all went over to the Cosmopolitan at Chino Bandito. Not Chino Bandito, sorry. Um, Chino Poblano. I love that there were enough head judges to have a head judge dinner. <laughs> so we only had nine of them. The 10th oh. wasn't making it because Carlos Ho is a total baller. He flew in Friday, 11.50 p.m. Like, <laughs> yep, I'm just getting in here. <laughs> Wow. Um, and he he was there ready to go Saturday morning. So he's like, yep, not a problem. You know, I only have flight problems when I fly this other airline. But yes, we, we had a we had a large head judge dinner. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. So uh, so Saturday morning when you when you you come in and you get ready to hand out the, the team assignments and stuff like that. So what was just like the vibe of the room, like the the sea of humanity held back at the doors, that kind of thing. What uh, what kind of stuff uh, went on in the morning that might be different than a normal GP, or was it? I mean, like after you um, split it up, you know. What, so once it was split up, it was not all that different from most people, I think, um, because at, th- at that point, it, you're you're doing a thousand person GP with a whole lot of management structure above you. For me, for me, it was different because I wasn't actually head judging a specific GP. My job was basically to run around the stage, and if the stages were gigantic, um, they were probably four times the largest stage I've ever had to work with before, which was very nice. I mean, they learned from the previous Vegas because the previous Vegas, I, I don't know if you were there or not, but yeah, yeah. was essentially the central area with four raised stages and passageways in between. And we learned two things there. One was that I was I was the overall head judge, but I was also head judging a flight, and that didn't work because I was so busy coordinating all the other flights that I, my flight got neglected more than it should have been. So I said, you know, this is what you actually need to do. You need four head judges and then a meta head judge. And the second thing we learned was it is really tiring running up and down all the stairs between platforms. Right. So they essentially took the Vegas stage and removed those the, the hallways in between the various bits and just gave us one gigantic stage. And I would just be running around making sure everything was communicating, everything was operating correctly. So for me, it was actually a fairly different experience in that until about round three or four, I didn't even make it onto the floor except for taking a couple of peels when things got backed up. Around, through, around then, I could walk out and actually see some magic, talk to some judges and things. But for the first while, it was just coordinating uh, which scorekeeper is having problems. Oh, look, here's a list of people with buy issues. Uh, got to run a sleep-in special right now. Announcements to be made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it was kind of different. But I think for your average judge, meh, you know, pretty much what would be expected. What was the first um, – like I, I know things had to have gone wrong at some point. What was the first thing where you went, oh, boy, this is going wrong? When I accepted the job. <laughs> <laughs> um, Second time when you opened the 500-person spreadsheet. <laughs> that does seem like a big sign. Yeah, I mean, there, were, there were lots of moments where I was definitely afeared. Um, it, nothing went horribly – I'm trying to think if anything went horribly, horribly wrong. I mean there were little bits here and there. But I mean fun, fundamentally speaking, as, as I explained to a lot of judges – 
look, you know, things are going to go wrong this weekend, but just remember we have 8,000 people here who expect it to be just horrific. So if you can keep this to just being good, it'll be perceived as miraculous. And for the record, it was good. Um, yeah. As, as a player, I think we were done with the the, the flights and the main or the 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 Swiss rounds on the first day by like what ten thirty. We ten fifteen for my flight, ten thirty for Chris's, which is fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. Vegas first Vegas, we weren't out until like post midnight. It was like twelve thirty or one. Um, and so I was settling in for oh, if we, if we do well, we'll be done by eleven. But everybody should be expecting to be here at midnight, and so we finished at ten fifteen. That, that that's pretty good. I mean. The first time something went wrong is was round nine when uh, DCIR ate one of the tournaments. Mm. Yeah, and the big one, of course, because that, of course. Yeah. Um, but that just meant that you know Kristen had just entered all the results and uh, and still had the saved values for round after round eight. So she just, she just had to load the file and re-enter all the results after time. So that delayed that tournament mm, fifteen minutes or so. At that point, since it was the last round, we just started the other three and said go for it, and then let the other one catch up as needed. But I mean, that that was the first time that something went horribly wrong that, you know, I was actually worried about. I mean, everything else was sort of the stuff you expect to go wrong. You know, buy issues sucked. Sleep in specials wandered in way earlier than they sh- than they needed to because we tell them to. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just the stuff that happens at every GP. Um, constantly finding sleep in special deck lists in weird places. Yeah, I, uh, I got to say that the Channel Fireball approach to the product distribution was fantastic. Um, they took the um, those 400 count white long boxes and they just put everything in there. So there was a rolled up play mat and inside that was a life pad and pen and deck list and waiver form and your packs and your foils and all the rest of it. So we, you know, we just had the judges walk down the aisles, hand these things out. And then I was like, open your long box, take out your pen, put your name on your long box. Now take out your waiver form. Put your name on the waiver form. Um, so we got through all the sort of horrors of the initial distribution, which is where we were ready to throw manpower and be prepared for insanity. Went about as smoothly as it could possibly have gone. Um, sleep-ins were a little worse because it just happened that the first round of sleep-ins arrived as we were turning over a round. Um, so they got delayed more than I would have liked. But um, on the whole, getting product players was as good as it's ever been. And so, I mean, everything went as well as I could possibly have hoped for the day. Everybody worked their asses off and it showed. Cool. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, let me ask. So one, one of the, one of the things that, uh, head judges do at the end of events, uh, uh or actually I, I want to, uh, well, yeah, at the end of the event, they kind of go over interesting rulings, interesting appeals, <laughs> problem cards, you know, like spell skite. How many spell skite <laughs> questions were there? That kind spell of skite and electrolyze all the time. Oh, actually, that one. So, so remember, I said I got out on the floor for round four. I got out on the floor, and here is the first question I take. Judge, he's got a precursor golem, and I'm holding electrolyze. <sighs> and I'm like, okay. And I want to know what happens if I, you know, what happens here. I'm like, okay, let's walk through this. What's going? You know, tell me exactly what you want to do right now. He's like, okay, I would like to electrolyze. I'm like. And I'm like, okay, well, how are, so in order to do this, you have to divide the damage at this time amongst the number of targets. Which targets are you, uh, one or two target targets? What are you choosing for your targets? He's like, I'd like to choose my precursor golem and my opponent's helium squirter. I'm like, and presumably you're going one to each because you have to. Excellent. We're done here because the golem does not trigger. 
And then the opponent pipes up and says, so can I spell Skite the one damage to my helium squirter? <laughs> like, we've got all the good cards here. <laughs> um, Precursor Golem was far and away the messiest card on the weekend. Um, right. That card is just, I mean, it's just it, it, it has one fundamental question, which is, if I target a Golem and something else, does it go off? And the answer is no. Um, but the English on the card <laughs> is such that you could derive the other answer if you wanted to. So last episode, we had a Modern Masters episode mm-hmm. to talk about the problem cards, and we didn't talk about Precursor Golem. And I'm going to admit, it's mostly because I didn't want to. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm I don't so tired of talking about Precursor Specific, Golem. Specifically before we began the episode, when we're looking over the list of cards, it's like, hey, there's no Precursor Golem. And CJ says, yeah, I left that off because I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Yeah. And, uh, the, the other problem we had was um the Convoke Sacrifice interaction. Yeah, the spawn tokens. Yeah. Yes, the spawn tokens, because that changed not that long ago. And I'm led to understand, I haven't tried it myself, I'm led to understand Magic Online actually does it the other way right now. Uh, it, it doesn't do it incorrectly. Oh, it doesn't? Oh, good. Um, actually, I don't, maybe it does. <laughs> people, have claimed, it. people have claimed it works that way, and we had to be like, well, you know, that's Magic Online, and it doesn't, it's a nice facsimile of playing Magic. Works, works this way on Magic Online is the typical go-to uh, when mm-hmm. it doesn't work the way you want. Yeah. Just, but, but I've heard that from people that who were recently. I don't remember it ever working a different way. Yeah, when they when they updated the convoke rules for M fourteen fifteen, whichever one it was, they changed the, the they changed it to being a cost reducer rather than alternate cost or something. I can't remember exactly the details on it, and that actually changed that interaction. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huh. Okay, we covered it. Yeah, they, it's well, it's uh, it was M fourteen because Convoke was in M fifteen. Yeah, whichever one it was. Yeah. Yeah. So they changed it like a set before, and for some reason. Oh, that's right. It caused rampant speculation. Yeah. yeah. Because they changed it for Delve, I think. Yeah, they changed it for Delve as well. Yeah. And then we got, yeah. and then when we got Delve in um, Konzatark here, I was like, Oh, oh no, no! Right. When we got Convoke in M fifteen, I was like, Oh, that's why they changed it, and I didn't see Delve mm-hmm. coming at all because I thought <laughs> yeah. it had already happened. Yeah. Yeah. So that did, that did actually change at one point, which confused a few people. Yeah. Yeah. But, you so, know, I mean, other than that, it was, I mean, there was some narcolepsy issues, which we expected. That was actually the one we expected going in. It was not as bad as we'd feared. Um, narcolepsy is the kind of card they probably wouldn't print nowadays, um, just because it, tap, it it gives your opponent a detrimental trigger. Or sorry, it doesn't give your opponent the detrimental trigger. You have to remind them every upkeep in there, incentivize just to untap it and wait for you to remind them. So that's kind of annoying. Yeah, we talked about, um, there's another yeah, so- called... Uh, uh, Pil- so, pillory of the fate. Pillory of sleep. Yes, of yeah. sleepless. That's that's the flip side of it, where it yeah. gives the opponent a detrimental trigger. It's like, yeah. uh, really? I know. So yeah. we had about we had about equal numbers of both of those. So there's just no winning there. <laughs> so narcolepsy just it's one in a blue for an enchantment aura enchant creature that says at the beginning of each upkeep, if enchanted creature is untapped, tap it. But it's your trigger, mm-hmm. and it goes on your opponent's uh, pro- most likely on your opponent's card. So right, which they have just untapped. Yeah. Yep. So they have no incentive to remind you. And I have to explain to people that the general philosophy there is that you, you, because your opponent can't move you through the turn that fast, you basically have until you get involved with the turn to remind them. So if, if you're my, – my, my example is imagine this person is looking away while the opponent does stuff. If, if the first time they turn back and acknowledge something, that's their window, which frequently in the case of this is – uh, combat because the opponent will just untap, draw the card, and say, "I want to attack," and that's the point we should say, "Hey, you needed to tap that." 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you can't you can't force a you can't rush through uh, your opponent's triggers. Yeah, when, once you've been sort of affirmatively involved in the opponent's turn, that's when you've passed that window. <clears throat> if you're still if you're still result like I, obviously it's not modern masters, but if you're still like resolving the shuffle from your sack land or something yeah. like that, then uh, yeah, w- once you explicitly okay something is usually the most common thing. So you either allow a creature to resolve or you allow your opponent to declare attacks or something like that. Cool. So were there were there any uh, uh, like real interesting like you gave you gave a, a I don't want to necessarily go into details for the at the end of Miami you gave kind of a nice you know like here's some here's some calls and here's a an, an interesting interaction I had with social media and coverage. <laughs> uh, yeah, did no, you have anything actually- like that? No, um, I mean, we had – that was a large part of the known unknowns is exactly how is coverage going to work with eight events and three broadcast crews. But um, we didn't actually have any problems with social media. Um, most of the DQs were all straightforward. Most most of the shenanigans were fairly easily investigated. It was not – from a judging standpoint, it was not a hugely problematic tournament, just, just from a scale standpoint, really. Cool. I think now- everybody was too busy being shocked at how much fun they were having. <laughs> Uh, now, some sometimes a, a head judge gets on on Sunday gets to go over to uh, before before we before we talk about Sunday. But uh, did you get to go over to sides and see how sides were doing? No, nope, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I was way too busy running around the tournament. Um, I hear it was pretty busy, but I saw very little sides on the, over the course of the weekend. <laughs> Sides on on Saturday and Sunday were not nearly as bad as uh, as Thursday and Friday. Well, they they had it pretty much down pat for most of Saturday and Sunday. Now there there were some issues on Sunday when they had some events that had they had way more events firing than they expected, so they had a few space issues to deal with. Uh, see, 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 now that that's fascinating to me because I've actually been present for all three GP Vegases, and the very first GP Vegas was back in two thousand, late two thousand, I think. Late 2000, 2001, maybe it was late 2001. And it was a 400-player event, if that. And they fired two side events the entire weekend because everybody came, played in the tournament, said, hey, I'm in Vegas, and disappeared. So if you ever need an indication as to how magic has changed in the last you know, 15 years or so, the fact that Vegas got more side event participation than expected is incredibly telling. I had to wonder what what their expected numbers were because I'm sure they were already huge. Um, yeah. yeah, they 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 ran something. I don't have the numbers. I'm just basing off of what the people that were running it said. They ran somewhere around 1,500 uh, side events, and and they didn't run eight person drafts. They ran 32 person pods that were broken into eight eight person pods or 32 person drafts that were broken into eight person pods, and so each of those was one event. So I guess that was just easier. Yeah, they were firing so yeah. fast they couldn't, you know, just send sense. off an eight. You can't send eight yeah. and then eight and then eight. Filling 32 was no problem at this event ever. Yeah. Oof. Wow. So so when it came time, so you got out on on Saturday at well, round the round nine ended around 1030. Yep. Uh, when did you get out of the the hall? Almost immediately. Um, OK. You, you, I mean, we got we went and got dinner. Because you have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, you know, I mean, at that point, you don't want to stick around and 
I mean, there's not, also, there's not much to do. You you tell people to come back tomorrow. You post final standings. You have a team debrief, and then there is no reason to keep your team there when you know that they're going to be working like crazy on Sunday. So you you send them off as fast as possible. Um, I in general, my debriefs for all GPs. I try to keep short into the really interesting stuff. I mean, yeah, I could go over, oh, we had this ruling and this ruling, but it is far more valuable for your average judge to be going and getting food and getting 15 minutes more sleep than it is to hear about you know, some of the less interesting rulings. So we got out and we went and grabbed food as fast as possible. Cool. Awesome. And then so Sunday morning when you report in to, to set up the – the draft pods mm-hmm. uh, was was that just same business as usual, only larger or yeah, it was just a ancient? totally normal draft. There were just eight hundred and fifty people in it. Wow, <laughs> that was actually okay. interesting. In that before when we had we used to have two totally separate GPS on day two, we ran both GPS off the same stage. They were just on each side of it. So we had we couldn't desynchronize the GPS because the last thing you need is desynchronized draft calling. Oof. So if one GP had gotten ahead of the – it didn't happen, but if one GP had gotten ahead of the other, we would have probably had to wait because, you know, draft calling is hard enough as it is. Draft calling while you're also making – and that's time in the round announcements is just asking for trouble. Yeah. So so you had 800 people and Chris Richter had 800 No, we, people, had, we, so. we had 400 and 450 in the two sides. Okay. All right. Wow. But yeah, I mean, so it was what, 47 tables or whatever on, our, on each side approximately. Um and yeah, it, it ran. I mean, effectively, it was just like every pro tour draft ever. You call it, and you, you have judges all over the floor who are ready to wave frantically at the stage if something goes wrong. And we had one pod that could not draft. They kept running into difficulties. One of the interesting things about this is that this was the first time where there was officially um, foil product, as everybody now knows, in the stamp product. Um, so that caused some consternation. We had to make sure that everybody opened their packs and got a rare and got a foil and all the rest of it. And we had people ready to swoop in if there were problem packs. So what kind yeah, of solutions did what kind of problem what kind of solutions did you have when the problem occurred? Like, oh, I mean, the problems do? were you know there's 14 cards in this pack. Okay, here have another one. So so they get to keep that pack. Uh, we generally then... let them. We generally just said here put that pack in your pocket. You can keep it. Congratulations. Here's an actual 15 card pack. Okay. So you didn't you they, you were like taking away their pack, so there was no like players. We actually we, we it, it wasn't quite that simple. We had certain convoluted rules. Like if the pack was missing a common or uncommon, um, or sorry, if the pack was missing like the mythic or the rare, wizards wanted it for qual. Actually, on day two they didn't care because there were no barcodes. So yeah, we just let them keep it. On day one we had some rules where if it was in certain situations wizards wanted it so they could track the error, and in the other situations they just let the players keep the pack. Oh okay. But there were, I mean, honestly, we were we were prepared for a massive wave of errors on both days, and it didn't really manifest. I mean, we probably replaced a couple dozen packs on day one, and maybe five or six on day two, and a couple dozen sounds like a lot until you think about just how many packs were opened. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny when you when you look at like Reddit and YouTube and various. Uh, uh, videos and podcasts and stuff like that it seems like all you hear about is you know like the two boxes with uh with foil rusted relics and stuff like that and it sounds like it's everywhere but if you're saying that you know eight thousand people opened six packs each and you only had to give out a couple you know a couple dozen packs to correct that yeah well i mean there were certainly some issues with print runs and with printing in this set 
and I mean, let's face it, Reddit exists and thrives on creating drama. I mean, there's not a lot of to discuss about. Hey, this tournament happened. Nothing really exciting happened. It went well. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> three comments. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, stuff's going to get up. I mean, everything interesting will always get upvoted on social media everywhere. And so it doesn't, it's always a little disproportionate as to the actual problems. And you have to, you have to spend a lot of time digging through to figure out what are actual problems and what are just sort of problems that are getting blown up because they're fun to talk about. And this was one where it was a problem. There were, there have been some issues. Um, they're probably overblown. And yeah, it didn't really affect the GP nearly as much as people were afraid they might. Do you know so, roughly how many people you had drop, you know, do the old, oh, I opened XYZ sweet cards, you know, the, that we had to Yeah, it was, around. I think it was somewhere around 80 a pod, 80 a flight. So, you know, 400 a side, maybe. Hmm. But it was, it was it was like eight percent of the field, I think, was the That's number I heard. A lot more than I expected, honestly. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I mean, there were a lot of really appealing side events, so I think a lot of people were like, "Yeah, yeah this is awesome. I'm got just going to go drop those sides." Yeah. Got my got my dark confidant, my goif, my yeah. So okay, let me let's let me ask this just for the you know I'm really curious. Any situations that really just made you go like, "Huh? Oh yeah, that's that's a new one." Oh, yes. I had <laughs> okay. one that I had never encountered in my 15, 16 or whatever years of judging. So on day two, draft two, the, the first round after the draft starts, I get a judge call. And the two players are like, we're paired against the wrong pots. We, we weren't on the same pot. Like, that's not good. So I go up onto the stage and I you know grab Nick, who's the scorekeeper for day two. And Nick never makes mistakes. So, you know, we'll find out what Nick says. And Nick's like... Here is all the documentation. They were in the same pot. I'm like, that's interesting. So I go back, and one of the guys, two of the people in the pot, sitting next to them were like, yeah, he was in our pot. The other guy wasn't. I'm like, well, this is interesting. Hmm. So, well, so what do you do here? Is it, is is it like it, a name issue, like same name? We only had – I believe there were only same name issues on day one. Okay. Um, yeah, basically this guy – the guys are claiming this guy was in pod 44 and that guy was in pod 45. But we have so, them both in pod 45. So did somebody sit in the wrong place? Well, so how how do you figure this out? Uh, <laughs> probably if you go find somebody from Pod Forty Five and ask if you know confirm, uh, see if you can get someone to confirm that he was actually in the pod that he's saying that he's in. That right, he's but in. even if you do that, then you still have another guy that's displaced. You have to find right, right. Well, yeah, but that'll help you find that guy. I guess, I guess yeah, actually, go if you can find the other guys. It's like who's he. Is there playing somebody playing somebody else that they don't recognize? If, if only it could be that simple. So I did that. And in fact, it was very convenient because pod 44 and pod 45 each had a match playing next to each other at three different locations aside from this. So I went to all of them and all of them confirmed they were playing correct opponents. However, both of these pods only had seven drafters. So get on the mic, call up, you know, John Smith and Eric Young and neither of them shows up, of course. <laughs> because <laughs> why would they um one of them has now dropped from the tournament they just got in there red rafted or whatever and then left so th this is the situation i'm confronted with what, what, do, what do you do at this point honestly i'm not sure i'm very interested to find out though yeah uh... so yeah <laughs> after thinking about it for a long time i concluded the only correct thing you can do at this point is to say i'm sorry sir you drafted in the wrong pod i'm gonna have to match loss you for the three rounds of this pod 
which Ooh. given they were the last three were basically, I'm sorry, sir, you're out of the tournament. I, I didn't feel terrible about this. I felt kind of bad because, you know, that sucks for them. But uh, they were in the bottom pods, so right. they were likely already out of money contention or anything. I, I didn't. I don't think I ruined some guy's day. Um, they didn't get to play a couple of rounds of Magic, and that was unfortunate. But you know, it wasn't like I cost him money or anything. But yeah, it, 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 it was kind of crappy to be like, I'm sorry, but you know, all available evidence that you are telling me is that you sat down in the wrong pod. But the the, the, the thing that reason this is crazy is that. He sat down at the correct seat to deck build. And you guys have all been at Pro Tours and GPs where they have those little pieces of paper on the table mm-hmm. where you pick it up and it says, here's your pod and here's where you go to sit. So in order to do this, not only does he have to sit in the wrong pod, but he has to then go and look at the correct piece of paper to get him to his right seat. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, the guy, the guy took it pretty well and was like, okay, I understand. Yeah, you obviously have to do that. And obviously I'll drop now and save us the hassle of three match losses and all the rest of it. And that was all fine. But I was still curious. So what I did is after the round ended and like five minutes before the next round started, I called up the entire contents of pod 44. Just asked them all to come to the front. Actually, I didn't bother to call up AJ Sacker because everybody knew AJ Sacker and that wasn't the problem. And I called them up and I said, okay, guys, so AJ was in your pod. Now look around. Was everybody else here in your pod? And they're like, yep, 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 yep. This is our pod. Okay. How many people were in your pod? There were seven people in our pod. Oh, yeah, definitely seven. We talked about that beforehand. It was a seven-man pod. I'm like, okay, so you're sitting there only seven. How many of you are right here? And they're like, there's six of us. And AJ's the seventh, right? And they're like, yeah. And that other guy? Uh, we don't know about him. <laughs> so what I actually think happened is this guy managed to convince himself he had drafted in the wrong pod, even though he had actually drafted with these guys, with these other <laughs> correct people, convinced his opponent he hadn't been in that pod, convinced the two people sitting next to him that he had been in their pod, <laughs> and basically talked his way out of the GP. I, 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 the only reasonable explanation is he sat in the correct place and did the correct thing and then managed to convince himself completely that he didn't. Because nothing huh. else makes more sense than that. It's weird. Yeah. So wow. Let me ask, what's the harm in just keeping him where he is? Is it because he did not draft with the people he's playing against? Yeah, I mean, obviously he cannot He cannot draft with the people he is – he cannot play matches against people he hasn't drafted with because yeah. the draft – the level of the draft pods might be different. I mean, right. so one pack could have opened nothing but bombs and the, pack, the other group was just awful. So, So his deck was not drafted, theoretically at least, was not drafted with that group. So we might have been able to get him into the other pod, but that's really hairy on a day two of a professional event mm-hmm. at, with DCIR. Setting aside the policy implications, that's messing with the software in ways that it's really not intended to be done. I, I, I might have considered that, but that would have been a scary factor. But even then, I mean, the guy has made this mistake. At least we assume he's made this mistake because he's insisting he's made this mistake. And I don't think that we can like let him potentially benefit from the mistake or do anything like that. I think you basically have to say, yeah, you just, you played the wrong opponent three times. Wow. Also, I don't think we can be in a situation where like, he says he did this thing wrong. We've confirmed he did this thing wrong. Like there's Mm -hmm. no way we should assume, well, maybe he didn't actually do this. Well, we we have multiple witnesses and saying so. So at that point it's like, okay, I guess so. So yeah, we had a, we had a mass delusion in the middle of the draft. <laughs> that's a pretty awesome story. Yeah, that's a good one. So what do you oh, think? Uh, uh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just other than that, day two was reasonably quiet up until the you know final draft, and I think we all know about that one. Uh, yeah, I was just just gonna ask about that if you had an opinion on that situation. Man, yeah, I'd probably take the Tarmogoyf. I, I mean, I, I, honestly, I was not there there because that, that was actually the other the other top eight draft. Right. So I only heard about it after it had happened. Um, more in the oh, really? We had a foiled Tarmogoyf in the top eight. Of course we did. Way to go, team. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'd have taken the Tarmogoyf. It's you know the EV on it. I, th- I think the EV calculations are actually pretty strongly favoring it, just because it's not like you're guaranteed to win off the bur- the burst lightning anyway. Um, right. So you know if if it takes your deck from let's say. 64% to win the field to 66% to win the field. Eh, you know, hard to say. I mean, it's a tough. Did, it's a tough call, but Did you take the opportunity? Pretty, did you take the opportunity to watch the video of him drafting it? Yes, I did. Uh, I love that he like holds it up for the camera like this is the right pick and then puts it back <laughs> into the pack and takes the turbo Yeah, Of course. <laughs> and the you know, the commentators like, "Oh my goodness, you know, look at that." Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I think very few people would not have made that pick, even many who claim they would have, right. or would, would, wouldn't have. To to recap the situation, because maybe there are people who get their magic news solely from JudgeCast. <laughs> from, right. from, from the Pony Express. Yes. Um, oh, basically, we're not that technologically advanced. <laughs> all that happened was a player in the top eight took a foil Tarmogoyf. They were in red-white, I believe. They were red-white, yes. And they took a foil Tarmogoyf over a Burst Lightning, where, you know, Burst Lightning obviously would have fit better in their deck, but... At all in their deck. Foil Tarmogoyf is a foil Tarmogoyf. So. I, had not he- I had not heard of this. This happened? Yeah, it did. Oh, wow. You, you seriously haven't heard of this? No, of no, course I've heard. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course he has. It, uh, I, was managing, I was managing the Twitter account from afar. I saw <laughs> so, so much. It caused a bunch of controversy, I guess. Quote, unquote, controversy. <laughs> Red, Reddit controversy. Again, yeah. I mean, yeah. some controversy. Goyfgate. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's. It was basically. Uh, was it, it? It's almost hats at pre-releases. Okay, really. <laughs> and I say hats. Hats at pre-releases. Where where there's really three opinions. No, no hats at pre-releases. Yes, yes, hats at pre-releases. And then the third one is, I personally wouldn't do hats at pre-releases, but I'm fine if you do it. There's a fourth one. Oh, what's that? Why the heck are we discussing this? Yeah, that's what I thought Brian was going with that. <laughs> well, well, I I say I say that, but then I went back and looked at that thread, and oh, yeah. there's actually there's actually judges that I whose opinions I respect that participated in that thread, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. But yeah, that's that's Goyfgate. Is no, I wouldn't take a Goyf. Yes, I would take a Goyf, and. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> I I wouldn't, but I can see that he would, and then there's yeah, I guess there's the fourth option, which is. You know, isn't I mean, there, I, I just isn't there something it, on the CW I can be watching? Exactly. I, I just find it amazing. I mean, what what were the odds? There are what twenty four packs per. So there are forty eight packs of Modern Masters to be opened in that particular top eight. And and of course, it's it's there's only one draft being covered on camera on each match. So technically, there are six packs being opened, and one of them has a foil goif. So you're denying that the judges seated that pack with a foil goyf? Oh, just please! If I'd known that was in there, yoink! No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, it. I, the, nobody seated that. It, honestly, seating would have been way too much work. <laughs> 
There, there was. I, I remember at the first at the first Vegas, there was a pre-registered pool that had two regular goifs and one foil goif in it. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. I yep. mean, so so back. Enter interesting thing back in the day, and this is this probably ended around two thousand four or so. In the top eight of all Pro Tour drafts, all the packs were opened and recorded in advance, so the commentary booth actually knew what was in there. Um, and they, you know, they would say, "Oh, and he doesn't know this yet, but in the first pick of pack three, he's going to get this card." Um, that had, that that got abandoned years ago. So th- these foil, these um, draft packs, I mean, you've all seen them. They're the little paper wrapped ones. They're just they're just sitting there. Um, nobody knows what's in them because, and they're they're not usually very interesting. So I don't think anybody would even thought to have looked. <laughs> you know, uh, to take it back a second, I looked up the hats at pre-release thread. <laughs> That's oh, February twenty eleventh. You are you are referencing Brian. Yes. And then it's... apparently I sent an email to rules at gatheringmagic.com a few days uh, a few months later and I was like, yeah. I have a gardening hat that I like to wear around town when I'm feeling sassy. Do you think this hat would be appropriate to wear while judging a pre release? Oh well you know you, you <laughs> like, do you know why you sent that? I got a response from Sean Copeland and then a response from one Brian Prilliman. That's right, because you sent that because we were the admins of that account and you yeah. wanted to troll us. <laughs> Uh, Brian's response, thank you for your thoughtful and well-written question. The appropriateness of a hat at a pre-release is best left up to the judgment of the judge working in conjunction with the TO. While I can appreciate the change in demeanor that wearing a guarding hat at a jaunty angle could bring, do not make an assumption regarding the appropriateness of any specific hat. Different TOs have different opinions about what is acceptable <laughs> and how they want to represent themselves to their players. All right, so back to GP Vegas. But <laughs> I, I forgot I even did that. <laughs> it's the jaunty angle, the gardening hat at the jaunty <laughs> angle. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> that was that was the thing because Turner also used to answer uh, for for one of the stores near him, and I used to troll. I got an AOL account just to send troll emails <laughs> to him from there. All right, but before we go too far down that road, uh, is there anything <laughs> else you want to talk about Vegas, Toby? Um, I think we covered most of it. The, the fascinating thing to me was uh, we had an after party. Um, uh-huh. Cascade, Cascade and Fireball always throw a really good after party for all the judges. And normally that's just a little hotel ballroom where, you know, everybody gathers and there's some Winston drafting or something. And, you know, there's a little bit of food and everybody sort of chills out afterwards. I, walk, I walked into the after party and it was the size of several GPs I have done. Yeah. It was literally rows upon rows of people. And I'm, I'm walking down to where, of course, I walk in the far end of the hall. So I have to walk all the way down it to get to the like front end where people are like hanging out and talking and making speeches and stuff. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, huh, I didn't realize they were here this weekend. <laughs> oh, look, them too. There were judges. I'm sure there were judges who came to Vegas, worked like thir- Friday, Saturday, Sunday, attended the party were probably like the various other places and i just never saw them because that was the sort of scope we were dealing with um it, it was exhausting and you know i'm sure we'll do it again in a couple of years knowing my luck but um but yeah we there's a limit to how often we can do this sort of thing because the sure. organization and the coordination and just the amount of advanced prep was just insane and you know Literally, all of the level five judges, all but one of the level four judges, what was it, eighty percent of the level three judges. That's that's a heck of a lot of people to call. Um, and you know, kudos to everybody, you know, from all at all the levels for like coming out for this because we could not have done it if everybody had had been kind of indifferent towards it. 
<laughs> did you uh, get an opportunity to see Thunder from Down Under? I did not. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, it's, it's in the wrong... Uh, the only, Literally, the only time I left... Uh, the, uh, there are only two times I left the um, 100 yards of the Westgate Convention Center. One was the head judge dinner, which was the Cosmo. And the other one was I did brunch at Bouchon and the Venetian on Friday morning. Mm. And then, literally, I took the monorail back from that and never left the Westgate slash convention center until I took a cab to the airport on Monday morning. A monorail? Yeah, there's a monorail in Vegas. Yeah, Of course there's a monorail. It's for the drunk people. I mean, you know, we can't have ordinary public transport in Vegas. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't Um, know. Yeah. I got to see Penn and Teller. That was my, my, uh, my show that I saw while I was in Vegas. It was awesome. I mean, I didn't feel bad because, I mean, you know, obviously I live out here in, you know, beautiful, sunny California, as Jess well knows. We miss you, Jess. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And I, so I, you know, I go to Vegas all the time. I actually don't – I don't drink, I don't gamble, and I don't smoke. But I go to Vegas all the time because there's actually really fantastic food um, and, of course, really good shows. So, you know, the fact that I couldn't go and see you – know, I've seen Penn & Teller. They were, they were amazing. But the fact that I couldn't go and see a show, and it wasn't really a big problem because – if if I want to, I'll just hop on a plane and do it again in a few in a month or so. Oh, baller, baller. <laughs> you know it. Actually, right. actually, Vegas. Is, I, I I have a weird relationship with Vegas because after about two days in Vegas, I go fetal. I'm just like, that's enough sensory overload for this trip. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Um, okay, I think I think that's about as much as we want to say about Vegas right now. Um, Particularly because we're just talking about the shows now. I saw Carrot Top, and actually, he was pretty funny. But <laughs> <laughs> I would actually recommend it, also because he's one of the cheaper shows <laughs> for some reason. Uh, but let's uh, let's dive into some news real quick. We got a couple of new level threes. Uh, I think these were from the Modern Weekend or whatever we're calling the combined all of the events. Uh, we have Adina Chernowski, who I don't know where she's from. Jackson, Wyoming. 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 Jackson, Wyoming. And Charlotte Sable. Uh, of uh, former Judge Cast North fame, you know I forget. I I meant to say her name like Charlotte. <laughs> I forgot our, our rivalry. Um, she oh. lives in Finland right now. Yes, she's a, Euro, she's a Euro judge now. Yeah, she's Judge Cast uh-huh. Europe now. Judge Cast Europe. Yeah. Well, she also she also does uh, the Magic Judges Tumblr account. Yes, where that's you can, true. You can do tons of where it answers tons and tons of questions every day. Just a machine. Yeah, yeah tremendous it's, resource. It's amazing how much she answers there. Yeah, I wish there was a way to tell on Tumblr how many she'd answered. I don't know, maybe there is. I don't know how to use Tumblr. More, more than five. <laughs> All right, she has five hundred sixty-six pages. I know that. That's a lot. Jeez, that's like twenty questions a page, too. Jeez, that's insane. Well, congratulations to both of them. <laughs> yes. Woohoo! L three. L three. Yeah, and I guess for one of the things is just being able to making L3 at such a large prestigious event is, is kind of one of those uh, nice little uh, uh, achievement unlocks that not many people will ever be able to do. Didn't you try to do that, Brian? What's that? Didn't you try to do that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, Honestly, they asked us early on. So do you think we can do some level three testing at Vegas? I said, no. Yeah, I thought, I thought for sure none would be done. And well, they did it Wednesday. That's how they. That's how they finessed the issue. Yeah. Um, it did. It, it didn't touch the main events at all, or even the sides. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, that was just when you have this much 
unknown going on, there is no way you can say, yeah, totally, we can t- we can commit a you know couple of level threes and uh, the candidate to a three you know disappearing from the floor for three hours. Right. So we just we just couldn't make it happen. We we just didn't dare. But you know, I'm thrilled that she managed to make it happen on Wednesday. So to wrap up the show, I want to read just a couple of emails. We're not going to go through a bunch of them, but these these two are policy based, so I thought they would be more interesting. Oh, because uh oh. Heaven forbid we ever ask Toby about <laughs> <laughs> rules. Uh, we got one from Derek. Sorry, his email address is very odd. Uh, Derek, he says, I am curious on how in-depth and protected note-taking can be during a match. For example, if I am playing a deck with a lot of bottom-of-library spells, so like Anticipate or Dig Through Time, and don't shuffle, can I write down the order that I put them on the bottom because eventually I'll catch up to them and know the entire contents in order of my library? Uh Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then his question was, how public do these notes have to be? Uh, you probably don't want to do this. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, setting aside the question of how public it is, the um, length of time it's going to take you to be writing all this down and keeping track of it in a useful place is probably going to take too long. Um, we, 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 we basically allow you to make whatever notes you want once the game starts, but you have to do them in a timely fashion. And this is sounding like it's pushing the timely fashion barrier. If you want to like do it and then like write down stuff afterwards, after you've passed back to your opponent, that would probably be fine. But this sounds like it might be pushing it. You're like writing it down as you do it. It's like this one, write down this one, write down. Mm-hmm. And then, oh wait, no, I'm going to change the order. Hang on, let me scribble that out. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, man, like who has a deck that it in a constructed format that never shuffles? You know, like, things I, I running viscera seer probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, let's let's take it to the logical extreme. It's like the I want to stack my deck. Can I write down exactly the order I've stacked it in? The answer is no. Right. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, yes, you can after you've passed priority. <laughs> so, I uh, we have one more question here from Brandon. Uh, it's a little longer. So I'll try to summarize it. So basically, uh, this is, he, he overheard this at GP Vegas, and he wanted to hear what our thoughts were on it. So uh, he has two players, a Johnny and Narset. A, uh, Narset has an expedition map, which lets you sack it and search your library for a land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So here's the situation. A Johnny has said go to Narset, offering to pass priority. ETC, ETC. Narset then activates an expedition map. So this is at the end of a Johnny's turn. That she had previously played, and she activate and the activability results. Narset then searches her library for a land, reveals it, and places it into her hand. She then shuffles her library, sets it down, untaps for a turn, and immediately draws. A Johnny calls a judge. So uh, Johnny's concern here is that uh, Narset resolved the trigger, but didn't present her deck for additional shuffling, and then she went ahead and did start her turn and drew. Uh, obviously, this is not intentional, not cheating, etc. So, what do you guys think of this one? I'll, I'll admit this is not where I expected this one to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The title um, yeah. is a uh, comp REL question. Failure to present deck for additional randomization. You want to add that category? Yeah, I, I think this falls nice and squarely into the let, let's just glare at them for a bit, remind them of their <laughs> duties and get on with more important things in life. Yes. Right. Yeah. So the way the way it all shakes out is a it doesn't fall under insufficient shuffling because Narset did shuffle sufficiently just because she didn't present doesn't matter um b then she's not breaking any rule right uh, there's no comp that, rule there's that no says. yeah well there there is actually a tournament rule there, that requires tournament you to rule. shuffle That's your opponent's say. deck yeah um, but it's not it's not a it's not a gameplay error it's not a gameplay error. yeah it's not something covered by the ipg 
Therefore, no, exactly. there is not a penalty nor an infraction that goes along with it. So failing to do it is basically a, hey, you need to do that in the future. Yeah, I mean, the re- the, so the reason that rule is actually in the MTR is not because we think it's essential that, you know, well, I mean, it's, it's very good and important that the opponent has the right to do that. The problem is that there are, there are people out there and certain cultures especially where if we didn't tell them they had to do it, they just wouldn't do it. Um, they're not comfortable like forcing that level of scrutiny on somebody. So you know, there, there are a lot of people who will be like, well, you know, I don't want to like imply that he's cheating or anything or, you know, demand that I be able to shuffle. So we put that in there because so that it's the expectation. And so they don't have to feel like they're they don't have to sort of come out of their shell to do it. Um, we're not going to get tremendously hand ringy over them not doing it as long as the deck has been properly shuffled by the opponent. Uh, you know, what? let's throw it. Let's throw one more. It's about Precursor Golem. Oh, no. Since you love Precursor Golem so much. Actually, this one's not so bad. Um, So this is from Chris. He says, I just got back from Vegas, Precursor Golem, and in the airport, my friends and I had a discussion about Profane Command and Precursor Golem. So uh, Profane Command is choose two, target player loses X life, or return target creature card with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to play, or target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, or up to X target creatures gain fear until end of turn. And then Precursor Golem, which we've been talking about a few times, but the most important part is it has this line that says, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell that targets only a single golem, that player copies that spell for each other golem that spell could target. Each copy targets a different one of those golems. So in a simplest case, if you lightning bolt one of the golems, you're going to be lightning bolting all the golems. So his question is, is there a way to make copies of Profane Command off of targeting a golem with Precursor Golem on the field? Yes. What is it? You would have to give a single golem minus X minus X and fear. Yes. Yeah. And the way, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's probably not what they that. want. <laughs> no, but this is, this is a silly judge question, obviously. Um, but yeah, the, the way to do it is, um, well, maybe you're trying to kill your opponent's golem golems. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and kind of a trick you can do is even if they only have, say, two golems, um, the, the profane command says up to X target creatures gain fear. So you can choose fewer than X targets. So you can. But the, the trick is, yeah, both targets have to be targeting the same thing. One single golem. So the precursor golem doesn't care how many targets it's being the target of as long as it's all from one spell. So precursor golem's a weirdo. But there I'm making up for not talking about precursor golem last time. <laughs> making making up for it but if i get one right of replication precursor golem question i'm out how but, many would if i right of replicate a second time kicked of course multiple. yeah right right uh, get, i mean any get, question get, any question that ends in we just crashed mtgo well <laughs> I, I think i think the logical answer is you get enough <laughs> the logical answer is you just sort of look at them <laughs> <laughs> how many how many precursor golems do you get more than you need <laughs> and then and then it's like oh no 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 it's exactly relevant because i have a reverse damage and then you just, just, just that's okay i have netherborn phalanx <laughs> uh i remember carson hisses hisses uh, a long time ago he actually wrote a calculator for this mm-hmm. but i can't find it off the top of my head right now um it's it's like over. It, it turned out it wasn't actually that necessary for gameplay. <laughs> no, of course not. But it's like the biggest question of our time. I guess that's when I was uh like I'd been in Magic for a little bit or back in Magic for a little bit, but uh you know I was getting really heavily into judging then. So I guess that's why that card bugs me so much. I'm just so tired of hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> in hive mind. 
Yeah, that was that was kind of like the the ultimate in the the I'm corner case rules nerd kind of question. It was, and just want to like break your mind. What's wrong with hive mind? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I may have cast warp world into one once in a seven person <laughs> commander game at one a.m. Uh, <laughs> I think the correct response to that is to scoop. Yeah, I would scoop. No, we played it out. It was awesome. Because what happens is every every iteration, you everybody goes down to fewer and fewer permanents. Yeah, and also you have like a bunch of enters the battlefield triggers to deal with. Oh yes, yeah. But <laughs> if someone so has terrible. like a token deck, they might they might be going up in permanents. Yes. It's not bad. I, I, I wonder who might have had the token deck. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. That's what, that's what when, whenever at, at my my local game store, whenever there's a, a a warp world in any game in the EDH game, I always seem to get called. Where it's just like, oh, I'm so glad, and they just call me over, and the question is, what happens? Like, yeah, oh. but that was that was just wacky. It's not like Eye of the Storm where you have to start. I I've, I have had Eye of the Storm situations where we're just like. Let's assume the naturalized. Let's start with the naturalized targeting the eye of the storm, and then everything else counters everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still gotta answer that guy back with a one email. No, so, I started no. to answer him back, and I was just like, I can't do it. So, I, so I absolve, like, I, as your as your pope, I absolve you of all need to answer eye of the storm questions. <laughs> okay, it, actually, it had like eye of the storm, possibility storm, knowledge. Oh lord! Wait, wait, wait! Can it, we go back to the part where he's the pope? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your pope. <laughs> So, so the guy guy writes a, an email where he's just like, "What happens if I have all these cards in play?" And I'm like, "Well, guess what, dude? Here's the thing. I'm not gonna answer your question till you make an honest attempt to answer it yourself." You know, thinking that he he was it was just a troll, and I'd never hear from him again. But a week and a half later, I get an email, and he's like, "Okay, here are the six possible results that I came up yeah. with." All this <laughs> and then you have to read it all. And I started, I started reading it, and I, I got through the first two, and I was like, I, 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 I'm having a real hard time caring. Yeah. Well, I replied saying um, that I was mad at both you and him, him for asking you for, I don't Wait, know. So, so he listed six possibilities. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was. It I, was I believe like, that that is a sign that you should be rolling a die here. <laughs> it's, it's too much i i looked at the first one and i was like i think it's right and then i was like i think you're good if you got the first one right you're probably right on the others like it's right enough right enough <laughs> sure. uh not gonna overturn yeah oof. all right if you want to contact us about stuff not related to possibility storm or whatever that was about uh, you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. And tumble us at tumblr at judgecast.tumblr.com. We don't really... You sound very unsure about that last one. I don't know. What do you do? What do you... I mean, you tweet on Twitter. Do you tumble? I'll tumble for you. I actually don't know. Uh, I don't... I don't know. You just... All your words that end in ER really just end in R. <laughs> um... Toby, do you have anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this bad boy up? Um, nope. Watch Maybe. out for the Origins IPG. I think there may be some fun stuff in there. Oh, we have new uh, Evergreen abilities coming. We do have new Evergreen abilities coming, which, you know, I'm, I'm not sold. Prowess is fine, but I, I, I'm having a hard time with Menace. Yeah. Because, not because not because the, the ability is fine, but target creature gains Menace does not sound <laughs> like English to me. Yeah. Um, and then it also, um, 
uh, like Goblin War Drums now will probably grant an ability, so it makes it work worse with Miragonda Petroglyphs. I think we can live with the Miragonda Petroglyphs It's a, it's a, main, it's a big change. issue for me, okay, Toby? <laughs> That's yeah, a big to, problem. To be fair, you, I was the I was the person who started using it in Commander at one point, so I, I love the card to death, but I'm have, really not going to worry about Goblin War Drums. Were you the one with drums. the Morph deck? Uh, I did play a, I, I okay. have played a Morph deck. Yeah, um, you, the one many that years uh, later, Sheldon wrote about, right? I don't, did he write about it? I, I, I've actually put together two morph decks. I put together one back for Pro Tour San Juan and one for where did I put? Oh, and one online fairly recently. Um, yeah, I think which you basically mentioned it. Consists of like fifty-eight morphs, Ixidor, Ixidron, and all is dust. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of how mine looks. It's a wonderful deck. Yeah, it ties to Pyroclasm real bad. Well, yes. Uh, yeah, the only improvement on it is I use Animar now. Yeah, but that, that removes so many wacky morphs. But yes, <laughs> it you, removes you one. Can you just what? Animar just replaces a morph, and now you can cast morphs for free. No, but it, it means you cannot play Chrome Shell Crab, for example. I, I don't oh, think he's okay. using it as I the see commander. What you're saying. Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I, I am. Use, I use Child of Alara in general, not because I have any expectation that it will be relevant, but because I need all five colors, especially the first time around when there were just barely enough morphs to get to the 58 or so. Yeah, that's funny, is I have this deck, but I didn't I didn't update it when cons came out. So <laughs> oh, it's I, so I know exactly the strain of morphs. Yeah, so... All right, um, what about your Twitter? What's your Twitter? Uh, Toby Elliott. Oh, okay, cool. With two Ts at the end and two Ls. You have a blog, too, don't you? I do. Um, that's okay, it'll be in the show notes. It's Yeah, it's oh. somewhere on the Judge blog network. Yeah. And policy perspectives. I mean, we link it every three months, so it's not like... Uh, all right, great. And I already did contact info. Okay, I guess we're done. Thank you once again for being on with us, Toby. Oh, thanks for having me anytime. Appreciate it. It's always fun. And thank you to all listeners for listening. My name is CJ Schrader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks, and I keep it fun. And my name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. Find that dubious. When I was a child. (laughs) And these guys rock. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Turner's good people. (laughs) Oh, we're not recording yet, right? (laughs) 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 